Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is episode 2991, and it's called How NFTs Can Transition the World into an Ownership Economy. Yep, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, we're talking about cryptocurrency today. I know some of you are like, I'm going to turn this one off, I'm not going to listen. Don't do it. Don't do it. This one was done in a live stream on YouTube. It was one of the most interactive, best live streams I've ever done. People were totally excited. We are not talking about crypto as in Lambo to the moon today. We are talking about transforming local economies, building parallel economies, making real investments in things we really believe in, and doing it a way that is completely legal and using a tool to automate it. Yes, cryptocurrency and blockchain are at the heart of that tool, but I'm going to tell you a story today, for instance, about the first digital camera and how it applies to this and how we are now reaching a point where we have an idea whose time has come and all the forces in the world are not so powerful as to be able to stop it. It's that big. I'll get to it in just a moment. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day today. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is Backwoods Home Magazine. If you've ever thought, like, all this homesteading crap and all, how does Jack know so much about it? I'm not going to say I learned it all there. But, boy, if, if, along with my bring, you know, coming up as a, as a kid on a, on a homestead in rural PA, uh, Backwoods Home Magazine had a lot to do with it. When I got out of the Army in 1993, I found a copy of it on a bookshelf at Barnes & Nobles, back when people actually went to bookstores. And I'm like, I love this magazine, especially living in a big city and, and being so far from what I grew up with. It was kind of a way to mentally transport back there. Uh, about a year later, I got my first real job out of the Army where I had real money, and I became a subscriber. It was the first magazine I ever subscribed to. To in real life as a real world adult nobody paid the bill for me it is 2021 1993 to 20 or 94 is when i subscribed 94 to 2021 i'm still a subscriber that should say everything you can learn more at backwoodshome.com next up today ridge wallet ridge wallet Changed my life just a little bit for the better about three years ago. I was a billfold guy. Again, I'm old. I've always walked around with a billfold and all credit cards and all kinds of crap and receipts shoved in there and having this big lump on my butt and making a bat on my posture whenever I sat down. So I'd take it out and then I'd forget my wallet, leave it in the car, etc. I got the Ridge Wallet. Not only does it prevent me from identity theft, it's small, it's compact. Uh, I have the one with the clip on it. You're supposed to use it as a money clip. I actually clip it into the inside of my front pocket the way you would clip uh, kind of a, a liner lock clip knife in the front of your pocket. I mean, it's always there. It's always secure, and it's also secure against sniffers because it's built out of metal, and it protects uh, from those RFID tags being picked up by a part. You can get on eBay for like 20 bucks. and it's awesome, and it looks good. And I mean, every time I pull it out and pay with that, people go, is that the Ridge Wallet? Um, they were not a huge brand when they came on board with us as a sponsor, but they've stuck with us as they become a, a nationally recognized brand. Check them out today. Remember, they have a lot of other cool products as well. Great gifts this time of year. And you get 10% off everything Ridge Wallet sells if you're an MSB member. With that, let's go ahead and uh, dig on into this. Again, what you're about to hear was done as a live feed on YouTube. Well, hello there, folks. Welcome to, oh, this is episode, I think, uh, 2991. Is that right? I don't, yeah, 29, uh, 2991, I think, is where we're at today. Anyway, um, we're going to be talking about NFTs today. 
And NFTs for the uninitiated, if you've just found this video, somebody recommended it to you in the future or something, instead of being on a live stream, is what's known as a non-fungible token. I'm going to talk about what they are. Uh, really briefly, I'm going to talk about some of what I consider the, the dumb things that they've been used for up till now. Some of like the future looking big things, the big macro things that they can be used for, like property titles, car titles, things like that, public records use. But what I really want to dig into is what we can do with them and what we're going to be able to do with them and how it can actually radically transform the entire global economy and especially the local economies and what I call digital tribes. So if we think of like, uh, for those that are familiar with John Bush, his freedom cells, let's think of like digitizing the ability of groups to do business locally, but also groups to do business regionally, nationally, and even internationally. Um, to be honest with you guys, this may be one of the most important episodes of the podcast I've ever done. Again, I'm heading for 3,000 episodes. I think we're, again, I think it's 2991 today. Um, and so to do 3,000 podcasts over the years and have something that I think is this important, um, I think really if you, if you give me your attention today, I'm going to be able to open your mind in a way that maybe it hasn't been before about cryptocurrency, about blockchains, about this technology, uh, and specifically about NFTs. Because when I first heard about NFTs, I was immediately like, wow, this can do some really cool stuff, but the stuff that's being done with it now is stupid, mostly anyway. And um, now I actually, by hearing one story, had kind of what Sal Mayweather, who uh really cool guy, uh, is a co-host on our uh, Unloose the Goose podcast, I called it the Tocambrian explosion when we first discussed this. Well, the Tocambrian explosion was something we could see coming, right? But I think what happened is in my head that explosion happened when I heard this one idea. I'll tell you about it in a second, and I'll dig into this deep in a second. I want to give you two quick announcements, though, um, since this is going to go on the audio podcast as well, and neither of these will have anything to do with NFTs. But one of them, maybe a little bit in the future, could have. The first is a dude named Rob Torcelli. He's a really cool guy in the world of aquaponics. And I've had him on the podcast before, and I have an announcement out today. It's at the survivalpodcast.com. You can see both of these announcements in one little post. And he has a Kickstarter running for a really cool Venturi nozzle, Venturi nozzle, which is basically a way to get oxygen into water with energy that you're already using from a pump that does other things in the system. It's a badass thing. You should check it out and consider backing him. And again, FTs actually could have probably helped with that. Maybe not yet, but pretty soon. And you'll see how that works today. And then another one, this has to do with crypto, but it's not anything to do with NFTs. You know, meme coins like, uh, like Shiba Inu and all that stuff, like they're kind of stupid, but they're also kind of fun. If you're a holder of ARC cryptocurrency, ARC's been around for a long time. It was built off the list platform. It was one of the first really cool, really good, uh, delegated proof of stake coins. If you are holding at least 10 ARC, which isn't that much, and you have voted a delegate, you probably already have some BARK. Yep. BARK. B-A-R-K. Uh, is a meme coin that's coming out, and that's all the stuff I know about it so far, which is very little, is in there. But I have a 1,000 bark, and you might too, and that might be cool to know about. All right, so let's dig into this NFT thing. Now, I read something this week that really hit me and made me think of a quote by Victor Hugo. And that quote is, all the forces in the world are not so powerful is an idea whose time has come. Now, 
that's something you've probably heard before, but I think we're at a point where this idea of what I'm going to call today an ownership economy, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute, has come. It's come. And an ownership economy, you can think about the, the brief version of it before we get into it deeper. Imagine you walk through your local community and said, I have a little piece of that store. I have a little piece of that park. I have a little piece of the business that we're exporting from this thing in our community. Just a tiny piece. But you had hundreds of tiny pieces that could be transferred to others and could be maybe willed to your heirs and what have you. And that's kind of where we're going with this ownership economy and an idea whose time has come. And what I'm going to start with that I think will really make this make sense to you is one of the greatest technological and marketing blunders of all time. And it won't seem to be related But boy, is it related in the concept, not the thing itself. So back in the 1970s, if you said, who's the biggest name in photography? And I don't mean photographers. I mean providing the things that photographers needed to make their photographs available, whether it was you taking a picture of your family reunion in your backyard, a trip to the zoo, or some amazing photographer producing some print that they were going to sell. Nobody would have said anything other than the word Kodak. It was Kodak, Kodak, Kodak. And a lot of things that you didn't think were Kodak were actually owned or controlled by Kodak, like hundreds of little photo huts developing, you know, Kodak paper on Kodak film, right? It was Kodak. And even a lot of like the off-brand film was actually made by Kodak and sold through, um, you know, white labeled, which is concept still goes on today. And in the 1970s, a dude named Steve Sasson at Kodak using part of their blue sky, budget that they had set aside for research and development, developed a thing called the digital camera. He developed a digital camera. And Kodak had the entire recipe, think of it that way, for the digital camera. They also had certain patents on digital cameras, right, that would last for 20 years or more. And so they they had this technology. And the bigwigs look at it and say, ah, nobody's going to want it. And they also say, look at all the money we make selling film and paper. How would we ever make this money selling a digital camera one time that people use over and over again? We don't control computers or anything. And by the way, most people don't have computers. This is a stupid idea. Let's kill it. So they killed it. And the first real consumer-level digital cameras that I really remember coming into my world were about the mid to late 1990s. There's a pretty big time gap in there. And during that time gap, we went from nobody has a computer to nerds have a computer to nerdy geeks have a computer to most people have some sort of computer to everybody has a computer. And we kind of were in that world of everybody either having a computer or somebody in the family had access to a computer at work before we really had digital cameras everywhere. And, of course, then the digital camera got integrated into the cell phone, and we got DSLRs and all this other stuff. But the first, I'm talking little compact digital cameras, took like a two-megapixel picture or whatever, a one-megapixel picture. I remember, like, my project managers using them in proposals, and they would go out and take pictures, and we would integrate them into the presentations and all. And that was the 90s. How far could Kodak have gone? being the gorilla in the room with the digital camera if they would have immediately started making the camera available. And how much faster 
might the adoption of personal computers become if there was a reason like, oh, I can take pictures and have them now. Now, think about this. You, everybody presents this the wrong way. Everybody presents this, oh, Kodak could have been billions of dollars wealthier. Kodak wouldn't have had all these plants closed in upstate New York and what have you. Kodak could have been. Kodak could have been. Kodak, Kodak bullshit. What did this cost humanity? Like I said, we're going to come into how this affects NFTs today and an idea whose time. What did this cost humanity? I want you to think back to, let's say, mid-80s, late-80s. We didn't even really have email, not as we know it today. We certainly couldn't have sent large amounts of imagery across email. Maybe one corporation to another that had large data pipes that were actually pretty small, smaller than your broadband connection today that you're watching this video over. But most, even reasonable-sized companies, would not have been able to transmit these images. But imagine if, instead of taking photographs, having film developed, hoping that they came out good, 24 hours later, putting them in a FedEx envelope and sending them to another region for some engineer to look at or something like that, you could have, even if you used like a FedEx or a regular overnight mail or something like that, taken the pictures, been sure of what you had, put them on some sort of a portable drive, dropped them in the mail, and had them to that other branch office in a day. What might that have meant? How quickly... Would society have said, don't, now that we have digital imagery, we need a better way. I mean, Jesus, my TV works. I can watch, you know, Walter Cronkite live every night. Surely there's a way to get these 10 still images over here faster for a more affordable way. What advances would have happened for humanity as a whole if the digital camera was available by the early 80s in mass? Now, how could that have happened? I'm going to tell you right now. If Kodak did what everybody says Kodak was supposed to do, It wouldn't have happened. You would have had a very expensive technology controlled by a behemoth in the industry who would have slowly regulated its release and probably put more hooks into the patents on it than ever happened. It would have maybe even taken longer for it to get it to where digital cameras were in everything. Everything you bought it has a camera on it, right? But what if? What if somebody would have figured out the software formula, the software recipe for a digital camera, and the hardware to make one wasn't specialized molding and stuff like that. This is a thought experiment, so it's, it's not going to be exactly right. But just let's say that the average hardware necessary to make a digital camera in the 1980s, if you had the software formula, existed in most homes already. People had some version thereof, it, like a personal computer, which they didn't, but or, or you could go down to Radio Shack for 15 bucks and buy it. Now, it probably would have required some kind of technical, geeky, nerdy type guy, you know, those of us that played with our Commodore 128Ds and stuff like that, right, to actually be the ones that did it. But how many of you knew at least one or two people that you went to school with, if you're as old as me, so back in the 80s, like that, that could have done it, that could have figured it out? And what if that recipe was available to anyone who wanted it in the 1980s? How many digital cameras? And it was all open-sourced. There was no laws. There was no patents. There was no things to get in the way. Anybody anywhere could have developed their own, like taken the software recipe, made it better, pieced together hardware, and made it available to anybody who wanted it, including, hey, you can, they didn't have the term at the time, really, but download this little bite of information here 
stick it into your own piece of hardware and it'll work, what would have happened? Would there have been any way? I want you to think about it this way. Let's say that governments decided we don't like this shit where people could just take pictures and send them anywhere, anytime, any place. What if Kodak said, we don't like this shit. This is going to put our photo huts out of business faster than we're planning for it to happen. What if everybody said, we, you know, everybody that had power said, no, you can't do this. To be blunt, how fucked would they have been? The answer, if you're struggling with it, is a single word, and it's totally. They would have been totally fucked. There would have been nothing that could have stopped that idea had it come together that way. Welcome to the world of cryptocurrency and NFTs. What I'm about to tell you about what can be done with an NFT is now exactly that. It's actually easier. All the hardware necessary is already out and deployed all over the world with hundreds of thousands of people providing the hardware in return for earning a little bit on a cryptographic network by providing security, by providing transmissibility, by providing storage. Every way there is to monetize the computers that are in every home in the world that's in the, you know, kind of in the modern world today is available already. It's all open source. It's all free. No one can control it. Any of you shut down one going concern, let's say, there's a thousand more and another one can be spun up tomorrow by two guys in a garage. So when you now introduce into that world a technology like a non-fungible token and say we can now provide people the ability to have ownership in the things that are important to them and all you need is the software And there's tons of people figuring out how to make the next great software. The idea has reached its time and it has come. And there's your Tocambrian explosion. And I want to hear about how that relates to what I'm calling an ownership economy. I've never heard the term before, at least in a positive light anyway, versus something a lot of dreamers dream about, which is a resource-based economy. A resource-based economy is a lot like communism, and I don't mean that it is communism. I mean it's a lot like communism in that when you hear about it, if you are someone prone to fantasy, it sounds beautiful. The resource-based economy would work like you have some supercomputer. We'll call it Carl, right? And Carl decides how much of everything everybody gets. And simply by existing, you at least get enough to live, to feed yourself and what have you. It sounds great. It's not going to work. And the reason it's not going to work, you cannot have an economy that is based on the concept that most of the people put their feet up on the handlebars of a giant bike and a few people pedal. You can't. You can have it where a few people put their feet up on the handlebars and the majority pedal, and that's what we have today. Because we don't have an ownership stake in anything. Even when they tell you you do, like, oh, you're invested in Ford Motor Company. Well, see, you have an ownership stake in Ford Motor Company. Really? And how do I get my dividend? So the people that own the company take the profit, decide how much they get in bonuses this time around. They say I have voting rights, but I don't. My vote doesn't count for shit, even if I own 100,000 shares. It doesn't count for shit at that valuation level of something like Ford Motor Company. 
They decide if they're even going to pay a dividend. They can say, you know what, we're going to skip dividends this quarter because we think more money needs to go back into the company. I have no real ownership stake. And what I'm trusting in this is a giant prospectus this big that I'm sent as a shareholder once a year, a formula that I can't possibly understand. The people that audit it are the government, who I don't trust either. I don't have a real ownership stake in Ford. And I don't really want an ownership stake in Ford. I'll buy the stock if I think it's beneficial to my future as an equity. But I don't really, like, it's not like I'm like, it's not like people buy Ford stock because they're Ford fans. There's tons of people out there that love their Ford cars, that have the picture of the guy peeing on the Chevy, or the Chevy guy has a picture of the guy peeing on the Ford, right? They don't own the stock in the company. That's a vanity thing. We'll get to that in a bit. But really, the reason we buy these equities is we're kind of forced into them because of inflation. And it's one way around it. And then they got all bundled up in an ETF or something like that. And then we buy that. And we don't really have a say. We don't even know what's in the ETF. We don't really have an ownership economy. We have our hard-earned life force money forced into risk-based investments that we do not understand because we don't really have a good valid alternative. That's not an ownership economy, not what I'm talking about. Like I said, an ownership economy would be we walk down our neighborhood street And the reason I'm going to make sure that I do a little bit to help out that park that's no longer a public but a private park in the best way that can be possible is because I have a little tiny piece of ownership in that park. What does that ownership mean? I don't know. Maybe that park has a membership fee. Maybe as an early adopter and investor, I don't pay it. Maybe I get a little piece of that membership fee back. Maybe there's certain events in that park that people like me get to come to, but other people don't. Who knows? It's whatever the people that create the initiative in the first place acquire the land and decide to create this thing, decide and offer, and I choose to buy into, right? I choose to invest some of my life force through some form of currency into in return for an NFT or a non-fungible token. And the announcement that kicked this off for me, I follow a cryptocurrency called Algorand. I'm not necessarily saying that you should go out and buy Algorand. I'm just saying that I own some Algorand. I think it's a valid project, and they're doing some really cool things. So I pay attention to their announcements. And I see an announcement come through that a, a company called Liquid Vineyards is establishing a network for vineyards, for people that grow grapes to produce wine. Wine is an interesting commodity. It stores very well. It tends to go up in value when it's of high quality as it's stored longer, as long as it's stored properly. What produces it is a grape, but what produces the grape is a vine. The vine is worth very little when you first plant it. We can literally take a cutting off of another vine and stick it in the ground and take care of it, and it'll grow. Three years, it'll produce its first yield. It'll be a pretty poor, small yield. But every year thereafter, the yield will, if it's properly managed, will get larger. And the value of the grapes on the vine become worth more. Old vine vineyards produce really great wines. So this is an appreciating asset. What they're going to allow a vineyard to do, and they're putting together basically just you and you just basically enroll your vineyard in it the way you would enroll your your website in Google as a search engine a little bit more to it but think of it that way to make it easy for the provider to offer the service 
Someone will go out and you say, I want to buy three vines, and they will RFID tag three vines that go into the network blockchain, and it says, Jack Spirico has the rights to these three vines for three years, five years, ten years, up to 30 years in this particular project. And have the rights to the wine that comes out of that. And they're basically pre-selling me the wine. That's that's the loophole we'll get to in a minute. But I can not take delivery of my wine. They'll store it. I can then take delivery of my wine in the future, or I can sell my wine. It's my wine. Now, do I get all the wine from those three vines? Do I get part of the wine from those three vines? It depends. The code, somebody was asking before we started today, you know, does it make everything traceable? It depends. Code does what you tell code to do. And traceable by whom? Where does that data go? Is it public or is it private? Do you have to buy into access to it? This is all depend on the situation that you're, you're working with. The key is this is not a loophole to not pay taxes. And in fact, taxes come into this in a way that is part of why the loophole exists. But just get that in your head for right now. I can now get an app on my phone if I'm a wine enthusiast. And I can scroll through really great vineyards. And I think in this case, they're all organic vineyards, if that's important to me. And I can find a vineyard. And I can learn about the vineyard. I can learn about its history. Basically, I'm looking at an investment prospectus. How long has this vineyard been around? What is their track record of wines? What does an average bottle of their wine sell for in a bottle shop? What's their distribution? I can find all that information. And I can say, you know what? This vineyard produces average number of X bottles per vine. What is the value of this to me over the next 20 years if I want a 20-year rights to those vines? What are the odds those? And what happens if the vine dies? It's my vine. It died. I lose. That's what happens. There's risk in any investment. This idea that we can bubble ourselves off from risk is stupid. We need to stop even thinking that way. What is the contractual arrangements? What do they owe me? Like, what do they have to do? Well, this all can be done with a smart contract that drives the NFT. So if they fail their obligation, maybe there's some return of escrow to me or what have you. And I get to win. And it's the beauty. We can do this without the state. The contract itself says what the contract itself says. You should understand the contract when you enter into it. And then the contract is executed by actions on both ends. So it's enforced by technology. This is incredible, incredible innovation, but it's not actually anything new. And it's what I kind of want to talk about next, what non-fungible means and how that relates to the fact that this is what you would call a loophole, but a stiff, wide, legitimate loophole. This is not some kind of like skinny your teeth loophole. So a non-fungible token means exactly it's not fungible. Well, what is fungible? Bitcoin's fungible. Bitcoin's fungible because if I own one Bitcoin, I can look up the price and it's about 60 grand a day, I think, unless it went down since this morning. It's somewhere in that range, 58, 59, 60 grand. And I can go to an exchange 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's more fungible than a stock, right? Because there's stock markets have, you know, operating times and what have you. And I can sell it into, into a legitimate pool of liquidity. And one Bitcoin and one Bitcoin, it doesn't matter that they came from two different places or worth the same amount of money. That's what fungible means. There's an open market with liquidity to sell that into, and one is seen as one. And that's true of all cryptocurrencies that are successful to some degree that are listed on exchanges. If I have one Algorand, 
I can sell it for about two bucks, right? Whatever, dollar ninety three, whatever it is today. Right? That's what makes it fungible. That there's no differential in the price between the two of them. What are my three vines at Joe Blow's Vineyard worth? I can sell them. I can transfer the ownership, but it's a very subjective thing. It's not like a vine is a vine is a vine. In fact, with a NFT that links back and shows what my vines have done up till now, if my vines have been more or less productive, I might get more or less money. See, I'm not buying ownership in the vineyard. I'm buying rights to the vines for a time. I could buy rights to the vines in perpetuity if they wanted to do that. It's all up to them. But there's no difference in this and then making a membership card that says Jack Spirico's a member of XYZ Joe Blow Vineyards, and he's entitled to X amounts of bottles for X amount of time. If it's legal to do that, it's legal to NFT it. What the NFT does is it enables things that otherwise would not be available to us. If And this is why, unless the business you're in is large enough or significant enough or impactful enough, it doesn't necessarily mean it should have an NFT attached to it. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But let's just look at why would I do an NFT versus selling a membership. First of all, a membership is generally not transferable. Now, if I sell you a membership and I've done my math correctly and your membership is profitable to me, I shouldn't care who owns it. I shouldn't care who owns it. It doesn't matter. It should be easy to transfer. NFTs, since they can go into NFT marketplaces, I can say I have an NFT for three grapevines at Joe Blow Vineyards, and maybe I just want to, like, I've discovered a wine I really love, and they're NFTing too, and I want to trade that NFT for another NFT. Well, I'm going to go sell my rights and use the proceeds toward the purchase of these other rights, right? Maybe I just decide, maybe I just need money. It doesn't matter why, but it's transferable. Now, think about this. From my viewpoint, the customer to the, to the vendor, it shouldn't even matter. Like they should not be betting on you dying and then your membership expiring before it's fully used, right? They should be betting on this is profitable business. I've done my math correctly. But for me, and I'm going, yeah, I could buy a one year wine of the month club. Sure. Great. Okay. Yay. Yeah. But what if six months in I need money? And it's only a year. But if I buy something with a 30-year period on it, and I know I can sell it, and those vines or that, let's say that vineyard starts winning awards and things, I know that I can maybe sell this for a profit in the future. It makes me more likely to be a customer. That's just one reason I might do it. The other reason I might do it is it's easy to understand the terms and the deliverables to me, and I know those are enforceable by technology. Now, right now, people are like, I, I don't know, but people also are like, I, I don't know about this digital camera thing, and now everybody walks around with one inside their phone. Humans are always skeptical of new technologies, and we always become comfortable with valid technologies over time, sometimes to our own detriment because we become comfortable with things like being tracked by the gulag and the Facebooks and shitters of the world, right? So if we become comfortable with that, being comfortable with something that actually empowers us, is a natural evolution of humanity. Um, also, memberships can be difficult to manage in some ways because you create a complex situation with 
does this person actually have a membership? If I, you know, what, what agreement did I make? Like if I have members that came in five years ago and members that came in yesterday, have I changed the terms of what a membership means? Right. If we have everything blockchain based, then it's very easy for me to do a couple things. One, to actually deliver on whatever I have to deliver on. We'll talk about some ways this can get complex in a, in a bit, but I can easily deliver, but I can do something more important as a business. I can accurately forecast my obligations to this portion of my business over the next year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. I'm not sitting there with a whole shitload of gift certificates issued and not quite sure when they're coming in, how they're coming in, if they're coming in, etc. I have very good timetables and forecasts of the information. Now, I'm more likely to do this as a seller and the buyer's more likely to do it as a buyer. Okay? There's no vanity. Right? If you think about it, there's no real vanity. And vanity is a purchase motivator to I have a membership down at this local private park but I have an NFT. People then feel that sense of ownership in whatever thing they actually own. And I know that sounds crazy, but why do you think people are buying JPEGs of stupid apes? It's all vanity. It's all vanity. There's nothing else to it. The problem with this whole digital art thing is people who are not known as artists are selling expensive art to people that don't understand art. If you look at the world, like painting, people are like, yeah, that's legitimate. There's a million guys, get various beaches and boardwalks across the world that do really great paintings. Nothing wrong with their art. You know what their art's worth? About what the freaking canvas it's on plus five bucks is worth. That's what people actually pay for it. Why? Because no one knows the artists. We created a cheat code, basically, for artists right now that they can just put some shit together on Photoshop, spit out an image, And also it's worth something. Or you take a picture of a basketball player doing a layup in a GIF and sell it as an NFT, right? That's all vanity driven. Now, it doesn't mean that some of those might not end up being really worth something, that there might not be the Mona Lisa in that digital art. You're playing a lottery, and the purchases are all vanity driven, and they're driven through ignorance. But vanity attached to real value is a totally different thing. It's a totally different thing. Right now, what Float is doing, Float's about to come out with an NFT. It's going to be called a Plank Owner's NFT. Uh, Kingsley was in the Navy. He was a Navy SEAL. And Plank Owner has a naval tradition I won't get into. But it's going to give you certain certain rights on the Float platform that other people don't have. Great. And some of us pre-bought the Float tokens in a pre-sale, and we get one for free. Even better. But there's a vanity to that. Think about if if you like a, a platform like Twitter, which I don't, but it, I can't deny its dominance. What if you had a NFT ownership in certain rights or privileges or abilities on Twitter today that no one else has except 10,000 other owners? Remember, there's like 30 million or something users. or I don't know, it's 300 million, whatever. It's like hundreds of millions of people use it. And what if you were one of 10,000 out of hundreds of millions or even a billion people? Like there's a value there, but there's a vanity value as well. And that drives people's decisions. And then there is no easy way in a membership to let someone or something else do the hard parts. 
all the calculations, all of the delivery. What if I make a deal that, you know, if you buy into my dairy herd, you buy rights to this cow, you might get, a ga- you can come by and pick up a gallon of milk a week, right? But the cow produces more milk and that you have a fractional ownership in that cow. So you have a fractional ownership in the value of the milk that comes from that cow. Now, any good operation, farming's way more technical than people think, is going to know this cow made X gallons of milk sold at Y dollars this week. If you set things up so the revenue comes in, something called an atomic swap, you can have all of your fractional owners pay their piece weekly, monthly, quarterly, daily in micro payments. You don't have to do any accounting. You don't have to have a compliance officer for this. We're eliminating jobs through automation and making the delivery of the promise easier. All right. And if you do memberships, let's say I had Jack's Vineyards. Let's say I didn't buy a piece of property sitting on a rock shelf. Let's say I bought a piece of property that was ideal, like some that are 20 miles away from me. And because Texas is actually a great place to grow grapes. There's a really great winery like four miles away from me. Let's say I bought something here and I put in Jack's Vineyard. And let's say I didn't own the survivalpodcast.com that I was selling through a few local bottle shops and drive-bys and tourists and things like that. And I said, hey, I got this great idea. I'm going to have a wine membership. How many people can I actually sell that to? If I don't have the reach of survival podcasts, if I don't have a podcast going out to a few hundred thousand people a day, right? And the answer is pretty small. But if I NFT it and I automate all this shit and I go into Liquid Vineyards database, now what's my market? Anyone who can legally receive a bottle of wine in the freaking mail. 300 million people in the United States alone. Hello. Hello, big market. All of a sudden, my little going concern has access everywhere. And this is already being done with sites that do this, but not with the type of automation and the connection. And as someone who owns that vineyard, do you know what I want? I want viral marketing. Now, I think we think of viral marketing today as some kid, you know, paints his face and then has his buddy shoot him with a plunger in the face and they pull it off and see what it looks like or some other stupid thing. eats a Tide Pod, whatever. And then people share the video. Yeah, okay. But does that make anybody actually do anything other than view a thing? Right. Real viral marketing that matters to me as someone who has a business is, first of all, what is marketing? If we're going to define viral marketing. We have to define marketing first. And I believe in the most simplistic, absolute definition of a word possible if you are to understand the word and teach about the word. And marketing is telling your story, full stop. That's marketing. If I tell you my story, it gains your interest in what I'm doing and makes you pay attention to me, and then some percentage of the people that do that will do business with me. You can go get a five-year marketing master's degree or some shit like that, and it's going to come down that that's what real marketing is, is effectively telling your story and getting people to hear it. Full stop. Done. So it's viral marketing. Some of you have probably heard me speak about this before. It's the most powerful thing in the world, getting other people to tell your story. That's it. Getting others to tell your story for you. That's viral marketing. You can look at all the bullshit that they put out, online gurus, whatever. That's all it comes down to is getting other people to tell your story. So if I'm selling that wine through that program, 
Okay. And you become kind of my patron investor. And you have this beautiful, you know, wine rack at your house. And you have all these wines in it. Some of them that you've bought from maybe my competitors with an NFT as well. But some of them that you bought down at the local bottle shop, some you took a trip to Napa or you went to Italy and got some Chianti or whatever. And you have all these great wines. And somebody comes over who's also a wine enthusiast. So he really likes wine. Somebody's always like, you know how wine guys are? Well, I have this blah, 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 blah from the southern coast of France. And this was, you know, picked by virgins, you know, whatever, you know, stomped on by goddesses or whatever. Right. Like that's how the talent world is. There's a lot of vanity in it. Which wine type do you think I'm picking out of my wine rack to serve you and tell you about? Am I going to pick the one that I took the trip that everybody takes to Napa? Am I going to get the one that I bought through a wine club? Or I'm going to pull this out and say, this wine came from my vines. And the guy looks out and goes, dude, you live in northern Minnesota. We don't grow grapes here. No. This is a Riesling from the Finger Lakes region of New York, where they make some of the best Riesling in the United States. And I own five vines on this vineyard. Which one is he going to do? Which one's the viral product? Now, let's do that with everything. Let's, let's start thinking, like, what can we do this with? You can NFT almost anything. Here's a few ideas that are more like today's discussion, though, for us, the common man. How about just future purchase rights? Think about that. It's already such a limited market, I won't do it. And like I said, this is probably not for every business. You have to think about it. But I run a workshop. I run a workshop every year at my home. I have figured out, and anybody that was at the last one knows, I am not exaggerating when I say The absolute maximum number of tickets I can sell to that workshop is 65. I cannot sell 66. I can't do it. Like, we literally fill my property. I've got a drone image I really need to put up someday. Uh, one of one of the students took his drone and went up and took a picture when all the cars were on the property and parked. And when somebody's like, well, why can't I come too? I just need to, where would you park your car? Where you wouldn't damage my property. Like, we're done. We, that's it. So what do you think would happen just with my really tight audience if I said, I'm going to sell an NFT? That NFT does not give you a discount on, on workshops. What it gives you is a guaranteed seat at any workshop I run for as long as I work, work, run workshops. You will be able to buy your ticket five days before they go on sale to the general public. You are guaranteed that ticket. How fast would those sell out? Those of you that come, I know I've got some people in the audience right now that are here on the live feed that you come to these or you know about them. And maybe you have never been able to come to one. But what is it worth if once a year when I do that and those that thing sells out in two minutes, by the way, this year sold out in two minutes. If you say, I've got one, I'm not using it. Who wants my ticket? Who wants to pay me an extra hundred bucks? And what if I say, you know what, I'm okay with doing this, but I don't want to give up all the future value. So anytime a ticket is purchased by anybody but the user, 10% of the overage comes back to me, and it's all automated. See, now I'm a lot more likely to do it because otherwise, like, 
Hey, I, you know, I raised the price 50 bucks this year. Honestly, I should have raised it a hundred. Like I'm cutting my future revenue now because maybe I've locked in the price. Maybe I didn't lock in the price. I don't know. But when somebody wants to buy that ticket for an extra 300 bucks, well, what if you don't come? You get to sell it for the extra 300 bucks, but for it to be a valid ticket and you to be allowed to come of that 300, you get 270, I get $30. Think about this. See how that starts to work. So future purchase rights on anything. What if Apple came out and said, Hey, you always want to be, I don't, I wouldn't buy one of these, by the way. I'm just saying there are people that would. We're going to sell 10,000 NFTs guaranteed first purchase of a new iPhone every time a new iPhone comes out. Or what if they said, we're going to sell a thousand NFTs guaranteed beta version of the new iPhone for free for the next 10 years. Now I'm not buying it, but if I'm a tech writer, what's it worth? And might that not be transferable and be worth more in the future if Apple does well? See, it's not Apple stock. That's why this is a loophole that's legitimate. You don't own the company. You're buying a thing you would have a right to buy anyway, and a thing I have a right to sell anyway. If it goes up in value, the value is subjective. It's not traded like a security. It's between you. If you buy a car from me, and it, let's say it's a collectible car, it's a, a, a 69 Chevelle. And you just like take really good care of it, keep in a garage, and over 10 years you put 500 miles on it, driving around with your little antique tags or whatever. You know that you'll probably be able to sell it for more in the future unless something goes to shit with the car market. There's nothing that prevents that. So why can't we fractionalize the Chevelle? We can. If I have a right to sell you the car, I have a right to sell you part of the car. If you have a right to buy the car, you have a right to buy part of the car. It's in the non-fungible nature, and it's the ownership of the commodity. Here's the gotcha in the loophole. If I sell ownership in my company, the Survival Podcast, Inc., right, then I can take all the money that comes in, I can capitalize it into the company. It's investment money, and I do not pay tax on it. It's not revenue. It's investment. If I sell future rights to tickets, it's revenue, and I pay tax on it. That's one thing that's really important here, if you ever think about doing this, timing. If you're a standard uh, company, and that means your tax year ends on December 31st, it would be really stupid for you to launch an NFT on December 1st. Can anybody in the comments tell me why? I know that you'll, you'll never get to it by the time I say it, but you can go ahead and type it in if you know. Well, I only have 30 days, roughly, to spend the money into legitimate expenses for my operation to offset the taxes owed by converting the investment into an expense. But what if I do it in January? I've got 12 months. I've got 12 months to use it to cover expenses, to buy things into my business even to use as financing to make even better leverage of expense. I don't want to get a tax lesson today, but in some cases in business, even if you have the money, you're better off borrowing it and then using the money to service the debt because it changes the expense structure. Okay. There's a lot of things we can do if we have time to offset that. So that's the one thing in the loophole. If I bring investors in on a property and they're members of a, an LLP, All of their money comes in as investment, and it's capitalized into the business. No taxes due. That's why it's such a scam the way the stock market works. These companies take in billions of dollars for investment purposes. They don't pay any taxes on them. And I could get into some other things here.
right? But I don't want to go into that. Just understand that's where the loophole comes from. So future purchase rights. What about priority of purchase rights? What if I sold an NFT on my workshops that was just whenever a workshop goes on sale, you get 24 hours before anybody else can buy. You buy the same price. You just get in the front of the line, right? What Again, Apple could do that with the iPhone. Anybody that makes uh, an Android phone could do it. Anybody that makes anything that has new additions coming out first writes. What if an author, like somebody well-known, like a Brad Thor said, well, you can get the digital copy of my book 14 days before anybody else can see it. Now, there's different values in that. There's the, there's the super fan that just loves the guy and wants to be able to say, I am in this club. There's also the person that's like, the uh, person that does book reviews professionally, right, that wants first access, right? There's a value there, again, transferable. Uh, but priority of purchase rights. What about the production of an asset without transferring the asset itself? That's what the grapevines are. I don't own the vines. I own the right to the vine for a period of time. And what I really own is the grapes and their resulting production. That's what I'm buying when I buy from liquid vineyards. But what can we do that with? We do that with just about anything that's in, that's a asset that produces value in some way, creates some sort of output. We could do it with a tree on an apple orchard that's used to make cider. That's just another example. But the production of an asset where you don't actually give up your ownership of the asset but you're giving up something that comes, maybe a portion of what comes from it. Maybe I'm an apple orchard and I sell 10 trees, but I only sell 10% of each tree. Or maybe I sell 10 trees to 10 people, but they each get 1% of the total if I want to make it more simplified for accounting. But I'm only selling the piece that comes from it. I'm selling the milk from the cow. right? I'm selling the, the fruit from the tree. I'm selling the crypto from the mining machine. Got it? Right? I'm selling the rent on a building, the rental rights on a building, but I own the building. I could sell fractional ownership in the building, or I could just sell fractional ownership for a term in the rental rights. All of this is legal now, by the way. All of this can be done now, but there's not a, just like there was always a way since the 1970s, to take a digital picture, but you didn't have access to it. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't simple. You didn't just go down to the store, pay 50 bucks, get a camera, stick a card in it, and start taking pictures. Right? That's what NFTs are. They are the digital camera being cheap and being available to anyone and everyone, eventually. We're still working on some of this. Um, what about the royalties off of an evergreen product? What if I put together... Especially now we have this awesome stuff like StreamYard. What if I said I am going to put together Jack Spierko's Guide to Hydro and Aquaponics? It is going to be a series of lectures. This is going to be done with PowerPoint slides and me talking just like I am here. I'm going to go through all these things. At the end of every lecture, I'm going to answer questions for 90 freaking minutes minimum. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do that for 24 lectures. And I'm going to charge everybody that attends those lectures live or at least has the right to attend them live. Thousand bucks. 
but I'm going to sell the resulting product for $500. I'm going to sell the resulting product for $500. Okay. And you're like, well, why would I pay a thousand? Well, you get to be there live. That's one thing. You get to participate in the Q and A. You get to shape the situation. You get to be there when no one else is. You get the information first and you get to say so on how it happens. But more importantly, what I'm going to say is of those, those, you know, 500 or whatever many students I take into that, you get collectively 25% of the sale price in perpetuity. For as long as it sells, you get 20. Now you don't individually get that. There's a 25% pool that gets split evenly among all of the people that are there. We can do that. I, I bet you there's a few of you that would be interested in that if I was willing to do it. Maybe I will at some point. I don't know. But that, that is just simply you're, you're getting the royalty off of it. We can royalty share in some way, shape or form. I've talked about this idea before, but this would be a similar but different way. I'm an author. I write a book. I put it onto a marketplace that looks a lot like Kindle, but it's not attached to Amazon because they're assholes. Right. I, I know I, I do a lot of referrals through Amazon and all, but it's because it's what works right now. Give me a better platform to do it through and I'll do it. But I create this, uh, where somebody creates for me because I'm the author. This platform, it's, it, it works a lot like Amazon. There's an app and you buy books and you read them. And maybe you could even have memberships and like pay per page, just like Kindle does with Kindle Unlimited. All that stuff's available there. But I sell my book and I sell my book for 10 bucks. You buy the book. You now own the book. It's yours. But you have an NFT for the book. And you can now resell the book. You read the book. You go, it was a great book, Jack, but this is not something that I need to keep in perpetuity for the rest of my life. You put the book up for sale. And I say, it's okay to sell my books used, but only if you actually own one. So that there's not a flood of used books on the market. And the, the, the lowest price I'm willing for a used copy, used copy, right, to be sold is $8. And of that $8, I want two. You get six. So you can recoup 60% of the value of your book by selling it in the marketplace. Do, what, does it have to be that? No. You could literally let the author, when they publish the book, state the terms. Maybe I want a dollar and you can sell it for whatever you can get. If you want to sell for two bucks and I get a buck, I don't care. Maybe I get 50 cents on a resale. Maybe I get a dollar. I get whatever. I want. And maybe I set, because I want to set a threshold, or maybe I don't. I can set that, and you can literally, if you built that platform today, you could have it set up where the, when the author published, they would fill out a form and set those parameters. And now I'm creating royalties for my book being sold over and over again, but I'm sharing them with my fans. And maybe I say the, the first 500, or the first five, or the first 10, first three, whatever number you want, that buy the book, go into a separate royalty share. They get... 5% of all the royalties for 10 years, 20 years, forever. Interesting. Do you want to be one of those? If you, and now, what are you, again, viral marketing, what are you going to do? You going to tell people about Brad Thor, who you don't have an ownership stake in, or Jack Spearco, who you do? You have to start thinking about this that way. That you're not only creating this, this business relationship, you're creating a long-term relationship. It's the thousand true fans model taken to a different level. It's the thousand true fans model taken to the marriage level. That's what NFTs are when you do this right. Um, 
here's some ways we could use this. How do we take this down to like local communities and start doing all these things? Ever since this great reset bullshit came out, I've seen another explosion. Look at that Cambrian explosion, right? I've seen this explosion in people like we need a parallel economy. We need to work together. We need to set up food co-ops. We need to get around regulations. We do food churches. We need to have strong local community. I've seen this over and over. I've seen more of it. I can't get more. I've seen more of it in the past two years than I've seen in, in the rest of the 13 years I've been doing what I do now. It woke something up in people. Can we do something with it? Um, somebody's asking in the comment section, I can't get over bootlegging. How will NFTs not be bootlegged? How, how, how are books not bootlegged right now? They are bootlegged. Copies of music are bootlegged. How big's the market? How big's the legitimate market? It outweighs the bootlegging market. Some people are going to go on to, uh, you know, sites and, and download copies of movies for free. Most people are going to use Netflix. You don't worry about it. And if you're an author and you're writing a book, you expect that it will be given away, thrown away, copied, whatever, and you write the book to promote everything you do. That's the short answer there. Anyway, everybody else, hold your questions to the end. Um, some ways we can use it to build strong communities and larger digital tribes. Again, try it with a cow share. In fact, I think it might even get away around like the laws in West Virginia that make cow shares illegal. No, it's legitimately my cow. I have title to it. It's my cow. Go screw. Right. So when you when you have places where people want raw milk and a cow produces one cow produces way more milk than most people need. So you have a farmer that takes care of a couple cows and has maybe 10 customers. You could, again, NFT the production from the cow, but you could also NFT any edition that was sold in a conventional retail, right? We could NFT a meat cow operation. So, you know, right now people will pre-order a quarter beef or something like that. But what if you could buy fractional ownership in a heifer? What's a heifer? It's a girl cow that's going to grow up and be a mama cow, usually, right? She's well-suited for it. And she's going to make many cows before she finally retires to Hamburger Town. Okay? Well, what if I could say that you can invest? I want to expand my beef operation, and I want to buy 20 more heifers. Well, I can go to the bank and take out a loan for interest, Or I can sell you future rights in the offspring of the heifers. And I can, and people like, well, how much? Again, I am not a beef rancher. I know that it's not a big margin business. You would have to say, this is what I am willing to give up. But you could probably create better terms for yourself and for your customer than the bank. And what do you think Billy down the road who owns 5% of two of your heifers is going to say when he makes Tommy a steak. Again, viral marketing, right? So all of a sudden we can start to build all these, because you can't, a lot of people don't have the money to go out and buy all the way into these things. But over time, they could end up with a reasonable ownership of stake in lots of local businesses. And then all of a sudden doing business locally takes on a whole new meaning. That's part of this. Next, again, Apply it to an orchard. I want us to create an apple cider orchard. Now, to get people on board, I might actually have to have a track record of doing this successfully so that when I say I'm going to expand another five acres of my existing orchard and I have a productive orchard, maybe I get a little bit more uh, buy-in, you know, because I'm a better risk. 
but we can actually figure out like a tree has this long it takes to grow. This is how many apples it produces. This is how many bottles of cider we get out of a tree. And we do the same thing we're doing with grapevines on a much longer timeline. And that could be any plant that produces anything that turns into any commodity that can be sold. But things that are alcoholic that store a long time and get better as they store, just that seems like a pretty good place to start. Better than selling gifts of gorillas, in my opinion. Um, fractionalized and appreciating assets. Somebody was asking, how would it work in real estate? Well, let's go big. And we're talking about local communities now. Let's start out going really big. Let's say that you wanted to remodel some portion thereof of the Empire State Building. And you are a corporate real estate management corporation. You can go to a bank and you can borrow money, or you could say, we're going to sell 1% of the value of the building. And we're even going to do it in a way like we're not going to give up rent and lease and shit like that. And they're not making monthly payments on this. We're just saying if we ever sell, the NFT holders are entitled to get money based on the sale price and then factored by 1% and then distributed by smart contract. But... You know, again, Billy's now sitting there eating a porterhouse that came from down the road, but he also can tell Tommy, by the way, I own me one one-hundredth of a percent of the Empire State Building. But we could do that with local rental houses as well, far more localized. And we could have a share in the profit over rent and a, a, a share in the value of the uh, equity gain in the property at the time of sell. Or even, like, one of the ways rich people have lots of money they don't pay taxes on. When real estate appreciates high enough, they refinance the real estate. And as long as the tenant covers the cost of servicing the debt, they take all of the money they borrowed and they take it like it's income, but they don't pay any taxes on it. You could set that up. What if you did that with art, real art, not a picture of a monkey that somebody made in five minutes on Photoshop? What if we did it with actual works of art that you could never afford to have ownership of, but you could have a piece of ownership of? By the way, the rich play a lot of games with art. Maybe we can play those games, too. Maybe we can actually preserve art in the hands of real people. Just a thought. What about something like historical items? You know, I went to a place in, um, I can't think of the name, Estes Park, Colorado. Really cool little gift shop. And I walked in there and I started turning. Remember in the 80s, we had like we go to Spencer Gifts, they had all these posters and they were in like a thing you could just like turn and look at all the posters. It was like that. But there were things in there like handwritten letters from Thomas Jefferson to uh, Benjamin Franklin. Pretty cool. Very expensive. And resell value that appreciates over time. We're not making any more of those. We could NFT that and actually fractionalize it. Recently, a group of people got together and, and tried to do this with a copy of the U.S. Constitution. When I say a copy, I mean an original copy. Like back when the Constitution was drafted, you didn't just like, you know, make copies. You had like somebody actually made a copy. So an original copy of the Constitution. They didn't end up winning. I think they had like $40 million pulled together. But that type of investment could be made. But we can do that with things on a much more local level. What if we curated a local museum this way? There's a lot of things we can do here. Um, how about creating ownership? I said this before. It's something akin to a park. Everyone wants a public park, public park. You know what you fall victim to? Tragedy of the commons. 
Anybody can use it anytime they want, any way they want. It's all paid for with somebody else's money. I think there's a real market out there for public spaces that have a cost to use. Just down the road from me, there is a nature uh, preserve. It costs like $100 a month to be a member. I'm a member. They have a lot of beautiful land. They have a lot of hiking trails and things like that. Um, as a member, I get to use it. What if they had a thing for $500 that I became a member for life and I was entitled to some portion of the revenue? I might even choose to reinvest the revenue back as a form of charity, but it might matter to me a little bit more. And I might go out of my way to help them make it more attractive to other people so that it might be more profitable or successful because I have ownership in it. Even a one-acre park is very expensive to put together. But the power of lots of people contributing a little bit adds up really quick. It's like a bunch of ants making a huge mound, each moving a little tiny bit to make a big impact. Um, people talk about CSAs all the time, community-supported agriculture. That's where I like buy a share in the farmer's production. We could take that to a totally different level. What about a CSA of CSAs where you have – These farmers that already have a track record of selling into distribution for a profit, but now you're buying a share of the product plus a share of the profit and maybe helping them expand or maybe helping them form federations by enabling that interconnectivity, the food hub type concept on NFT. Um What about building, you know, I keep hearing people, we should do private, private hospitals, private hospitals. It's expensive as shit, guys. It's a lot of money. One doctor's salary a year is expensive. But what if you created an environment, some sort of cash only, start instead of a hospital, start with just like a basic medical treatment center and drove down cost to a cost plus model like public hospitals are supposed to be. We all know they are milked and built because the government does that. You could form a private consortium to create something like this. Maybe you start out with a layup. Maybe you sell this this concept to something like uh, Native American tribes that operate on a different in a different world that, by the way, no politician wants to interfere with and expand from there. That's an idea I've had for a long time. Basically, medical tourism on tribal lands would be one way that could be done. Or you just do it and say, I dare you to stop me. I don't know. That one's a little bit, there's a lot more regulation and law there, but if it's ever going to happen, this seems like the way to do it. What if that NFT that you invested in that medical clinic entitled you to discounted care or care at cost for life? So everybody's paying cost plus 10, but you pay cost. What if you flip that around and put it into the concept of a health share, like these Christian health shares or what have you, but you, you created an NFT arrangement And you allowed cross-chain load sharing of multiple health shares. So that they become, because the bigger they are, the more powerful they become and the more they can do and the lower the rates they get in conventional care. And what if you bridge those two together to, if you're in this health share and there is a, 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 a federated medical provider there, and this is all easy to understand instead of the complex bullshit nobody understands about their health insurance, hey, This place down there, you get care at cost because you're part of the federation. Interesting. Or you get cost plus two instead of cost plus ten or whatever it is. I don't set prices. These are just ideas. Um, what about educational platforms? 
we don't need our kids going to school anymore. Not, not the government schools. You guys know I'm big on that. But a lot of people say, well, it's, it's expensive. I can't afford it. Um, but how many people say, I'm okay paying school taxes? I mean, plenty of people say this. I know maybe you don't because you're part of my audience and we're a little bit different than the average person. We don't think we need government for everything. But there's plenty of people that are like, you know, the school tax. I'm okay with that. If it was voluntary, I'd still pay it. What if it really was voluntary? Do you mean what you're saying? What if we created a consortium or a federation of private schooling that you could buy into with an NFT and maybe or maybe not get some of your money back? I don't know. But maybe you got priority on certain things. There's, you know, there, it's limitless to what we could do. Again, this can all be done. This is a technology that enables it to scale, to scale way down and way up. Next, um, what you're really doing here is a provider, is the source of the product or the service. You're rewarding early adopters and patrons with something special. As soon as you understand that, you, you can look at any business and say, well, how can we do that? I'm selling to the public, if you want to put it that way. How do I turn that that unfeeling, uncaring, disconnected relationship? I sold you a widget, and unless it breaks within the warranty period, I don't ever want to hear from you again, to we both have a vested interest in each other long term. Where you build relationships and you build strength in community, and again, federate communities as well. Um Again, you could tokenize income-producing assets of a property or a community, maybe the community as a whole. What if you had a 1% stake in your local community? Or a a tenth of a percent stake in your local community? Everything. The coffee shop, the donut shop, the entertainment venue. What if you built an entire town on this concept? And you had the ability for people that live there to buy one class of NFT and people from outside that community to buy another class of NFT. Think of it like class A and class B shares in stock. That way your outside money doesn't get undue influence on the interior community, which is one of the reasons that people don't like the idea of outside corporations buying in. We're not talking about voting rights here, guys. We're not talking about like what happened here in Texas where we have a venue out in Grand Prairie that Aaron Lewis played at. We went to go see them and you had to have a freaking uh, uh, either a COVID test or you had to have uh, COVID vaccination papers, one or the other. Now, Iron Lewis didn't want that. The venue didn't want that. But some company in California bought the venue and changed the rules after people bought the tickets. Well, that sucks. So how do you prevent that type of influence? You create a situation where the active participants maybe have more authority or control or more say-so in things than just money coming in from the outside. But that way we don't prevent money coming in. We don't want to prevent in a local community money coming in. What do we want to prevent? Money going out. Money going out. What you want with a community, you want it to be money importation, product service exportation. That builds wealth in the community. So now we can start building these really strong communities that use this technology to leverage sales and marketing into the outside world, but we keep as much as we can local because our local people are truly incentivized. 
You know, I can see now, if I explain this to uh, Mr. Haltham, who owned the Center Supply Hardware Store, when I was a little kid back in the 1980s in, in Minersville, Pennsylvania, he would have said, what the hell do I want to give away 10% of my hardware store for? Well, had he done that, he wouldn't have given it away. He would have had people invest in it through some sort of program. Maybe it would still be there, and maybe his grandson or great-grandson would be running it in 2021. That's why. He may have never understood that, but that potential now exists, and it really has never existed before. I don't want that to go away. My family has a little piece of that. So when I need something, I'm going there. When someone needs something, I'm telling them this is the place to go. And then what does this do to stop the exportation of talent? That's the people leaving all these little communities and having them go desolate. I don't want to leave this place. I have actual ownership in it. I have more rights. This is pushing the government out of the way, by the way, guys. It really is. You want a program? Well, if enough people really want it, fund it. I've seen things. We should replace the government with GoFundMe. Good luck with that. GoFundMe decides, we don't like this thing, so you don't get to do it. Open source technology does not give a shit. If somebody wants to do it, somebody can try to do it and see if it works. That's the marketplace of ideas. Um, and then now just think about things like, Gun clubs, right, on one side, very rural, a bunch of good old Billy Bobs getting together. Maybe they have a range. Maybe they have a skeet thing. Maybe they have a bar room to hang. This is very common where I grew up in Pennsylvania, these gun clubs like this. Just some artsy-fartsy, uppie-ish like a country club and anything in between. Instead of you have a club membership, you have a non-fungible token that gives you certain rights, privileges, and maybe some sort of obligation from the club back to you. That's transferable. That can be that can be marketed and transferred. And maybe those clubs start to federate. And maybe since they're private clubs, because you see, I'm not talking about playing golf here now, am I? I'm just explaining if it can be applied to Bubba's at the Bubba Country Gun Club and artsy fartsy wealthy people in the most expensive part of Massachusetts. There's nothing it couldn't be part of. And you create a club and federation of clubs and, well, you, you, you can't operate today because we decided something, somebody sneezed in South Africa, so you have to shut down. I'm sorry, we're a private club for members only. Can I see your, you know, you want your digital pass? Your digital pass? Your digital passport for your COVID? Yeah, do you have a digital passport to come in here? No, sawed off. This is a private club for members only. I don't see you as a club member. But now we've actually created a database, a blockchain-driven tool with which to verify that can actually be really easy, really simple. All this stuff seems hard. You know what? Building a blog in 1990 was hard. Actually, it was impossible. There wasn't a such thing yet. I meant to say 2000, right? Building a blog in 2000 was complicated. How do you build a blog today? How, guys? Click WordPress install. Install theme. I want my blog to do this thing over here. Install plugin. Algorand's all the way ready to the point, like a lot of things like this that you want to do with Algorand, the way you do it, you fill out a form and they build it for you for a price, value for value exchange. I don't have a problem with there being a price. I have the problem when there's a restriction that I can't do it too, 
Or because somebody doesn't like the way I'm doing it, I'm not allowed. Or somebody doesn't like what I'm saying, you can just shut it down. Because you know how you shut this down? You don't. It's blockchain. If you can't shut down the Bitcoin blockchain, good luck. Because all of this stuff right now is actually more enabled by technologies like Adam Algorand, Ethereum, etc. But this is all going to be on Bitcoin, too, through side chains and layered technology. And then there's too many of them. I like, I'm not a real, like a total maximalist on Bitcoin, as you guys know. And I like having these other options. And sure, most of them will fail. I don't care. As long as there's enough of them out there to pick up the slack. I hope this guy's makes sense. I am, I'm getting ready to go into Q&A. So if you have a question for me, I'm going to talk a little bit longer. I know there's a delay before they come in. I'm going to answer questions for probably about 20 minutes today. Um, but what I'm going to finish up with before I start taking those questions Remember, at this point, since anyone can do this, and it's only going to get easier to do, there's nothing that can stop it now. Because I can hear people right now going, the government, the government, I've been hearing that bullshit about Bitcoin for a decade, guys. I'm bored with it. I'm bored with it. The hardware is all there. Anybody that wants to do this, like, A freaking Raspberry Pi can do this shit. The software is is what actually enables it, and you have people all over the world right now trying to make it easier, faster, and less expensive, and less energy intensive. There's never been a, a time in history this many people have been unconsciously bound in a conscious effort. The guy that's sitting in a garage right now trying to enable an NFT to do something as innovative as the vineyard thing has no idea he's helping the vineyard people right now. He's using it. The vineyard people are using Algorand. He's using Adam. Doesn't matter. We have cross-chain technology. Everybody gets better. Everybody gets faster. Everybody gets more secure. Everybody gets more enabled. I'm just telling you, you can't stop that. It's like trying to stop an idea. It's trying, it's trying to stop a thought. It's too late. What you're going to see is governments and governing entities coming out and attacking it and co-opting it and trying to chisel off their piece and regulating it. But you're going to find out real quick. And if you have questions for me, please put them in all caps because I see some stuff coming in. I'm not sure they're questions. Questions in all caps. The, the governments that interfere the least will reap the best rewards. They'll get the most by interfering the least. And we're seeing the macro pattern in er, emerge right now. You know, you have a country, well, we're gonna, we're gonna ban this, we're gonna regulate this. And next thing you know, they're like, I just saw one, one of the provinces in Russia today, a governor that like gave the smack down to crypto mining is like, yeah, uh, uh we, Really didn't mean that. Um, it should be saw, seen as an entrepreneurial venture, and then it's okay. Like you're going to see China open this shit back up again because they're. And if they don't, screw them. I don't care. You know, China was going to ban Bitcoin. It was going to be the end of Bitcoin. China's going to ban. Like ten years, I listened to that shit, I, and I said it. I said it over and over again. Do it. Stop wasting my time. Stop bothering us. Ban it. No one will really care if you do. And then they did. And then what happened? Square root of fuck all. Nothing bad happened. In the end, it was good for Bitcoin. And where did the miners move? They moved 
to the United States and get this guys, Canada and Russia. Russia has huge growth in crypto mining. Russia banned Bitcoin. No, 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 no. The Russians are smarter. They understand that they can't afford to do this. They don't have the economy of a China. They don't have one of the United States in close. This is the new world. This is the new reality. Um, again, anybody that has questions, I appreciate them in all caps. Hayes keeps saying to buy the, di- the, the dips. Uh, Joe here says, no one can buy stock in your small business now, but with NFTs, you could essentially create stocks in it. Yeah and no, Joe. You wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to phrase it that way. You would sell something in your business or sell something from your business that you could sell anyway. You're just automating the process, creating ownership and transferability. And if you sold stock in Joe Inc., that stock would have to go somewhere on some sort of like exchange and it would be fungible stock, right? There'd be some valuation. But yeah, you uh you can get around that really easy. Uh Joe also says, can uh commenters users on library get tokens? Yeah, you can buy tokens, LBD tokens. Um it is now really Odyssey is where everything is, O D Y S E E. Um they're not doing anything with NFTs yet, but maybe they could. Maybe they could. Maybe, maybe LBC comes out and, or, you know, Odyssey and sells an NFT that allows, uh, you as a publisher certain abilities to reach, uh, audience that the average user doesn't have. That would be an application of an NFT. Uh, and what if they, what if they, what if they paid you some portion of revenue on total views back beyond tipping in LBC coin? Seems like there's a way they could do that. Now, everything has to be accounted for. This is not a tax loophole. This is a, a loophole. It's not even a loophole. It's a way to automate the sale of a thing or a service. Uh, thoughts on new crypto laws in the infrastructure bill and reporting? Uh, I don't care. I'm not worried about it. I've talked about it before. It doesn't affect this at all. It affects brokers, and the only real problem in the infrastructure bill is it uses the term broker without a clear-cut definition of the word broker. This is something that's going to get cleaned up, not because I trust government, but because I understand the situation that we're in. And again, um, I can't think of a guy's name, Swalwell, right? The dude that was banging the Chinese spy? He and Ted Cruz have co-sponsored legislation to fix it. That's oil and water saying we agree. We agree to uh, to mix together, right? So I, I'm not worried about that at all. There's, as long as there's crypto, crypto there will be anti-crypto FUD. Um, uh, Film Crew Tech says, NFT, the original permaethos concept, land sharing community. I absolutely want to do that, and I actually missed the bullet point on that, so thanks for bringing it up. I think the way to do that is you create this kind of community environment, and the community starts off, let's not all move there. Let's do something like create a tiny house community and lease the houses and people have a percentage of the real estate income and they can choose to reinvest into the property or take the money. They have either choice. And you actually, the, the key is with that, you got to come up with the money to buy the property and do the build first and then sell the NFT. Otherwise, I'm taking your money in return for a promise rather than selling a thing I already own. 
But when we start looking at DeFi, and if I can go to a DeFi entity with basically pre-orders for NFTs, I've got purchase orders. You want money from a venture capitalist? Walk into a venture capitalist go, I got a purchase order I can't fill. I need money to fill the purchase order. And they're like, here, you can have all the damn money you want because they know the revenues there. So, see, that's the other thing about these NFTs. We have to start tying, okay, NFT is one tool in the toolbox. DeFi is another tool in the toolbox. The underlying ability to store your life force in the form of the hardest money ever created is Bitcoin. Currencies that enable on-ramps and off-ramps between fiat are all the altcoins that are worth a damn, right? And you start tying all these together, and then we start building cross-bridge technology. So that would be one way I see that. What about another initiative? We have all these places where housing is no longer affordable. What if we created a situation where what we're going to do, we're going to develop a property, we're going to create rental properties, and then we're going to create a cap on how much we're going to take when we transfer the rental properties to individual ownership. We can make money and not be predators. We can figure out what's a reasonable return of investment. What if we take, and we my, my original idea for Perma Ethos was a 99-year lease. What if we create 99-year lease-developed properties, and we lease them at cost plus 15%, and you have a 15% return on your money? Plus you under, you own the under, you own the underlying asset or a piece of the underlying asset. There's a lot of ways to do this, but I think again, one way to keep this clean, you have to have the thing. You can't use this to raise money, but you can use it to finance. Right? That, that's, that's a different way to think about it. If I already have the money and then I pre-sell the thing, I can use the pre-sell revenue to pay back the money that I've acquired through financing would be another way to look at it. And there's some tax advantages there that I, I can't get into. Um, let's see. We have here from Cletus. Is there a will or there will be an NFT creator tool uh, for EG meme creators? So is there like an easy tool to NFT a meme? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I've never actually built an NFT. I just understand what they do. I think we're going to get it's good. I know people like there's right now. If you want to know how to, to create an NFT on a thing. There's videos that show you how to do it step by step. You can learn to do it yourself, and you can learn to do it in different blockchains and in different marketplaces. One thing I don't have a good answer for yet, and I'd love it if anybody out there had an answer for me. Let's say that I I create this can that I'm holding here. Like this is an original um, spin drift sparkling water and real squeezed lime juice can, and I NFT this can, and I say that that Cletus owns the NFT on this can, and I do that on the Algorand chain. What prevents me, if I say, and I have this curated in a museum for Cletus back here by my flag, right? What prevents me from then creating an ERC-20 NFT on the Ethereum chain and selling it to somebody else? I don't have a good answer for that. I don't know. Uh, I think there has to be some level of ethics in this right now. But that would also be fraud and governed under existing law, right? Um, next art by Lee Murphy to clarify other artists known to have pie in the sky plans, but so far none have succeeded. I don't, I don't, I don't have the original side of that. So I'm not sure, uh, what that is. Lee, you have to, you have to help me out with that one. If you want, um, value in a JPEG NFT comes from the community. Somebody trying to answer her, uh, Mark, 
Uh, not the art, sadly. I, I think so. I think there is, and I think that's true of anybody who, who does art. Like there's a value in a community around the artists. And this is to be honest with you, how art is used as one of the scams by the rich. And when I say rich, I mean the really rich. I mean the rich that they, they can go out and spend a half a million dollars tomorrow. And it's like you or me. We went out and we, pe- we bought like a $150 dinner. It, it wasn't like we didn't think about it at all, but a week from now we remember the steak more than 150 bucks, right? That kind of rich. Those kind of people can basically get together in a unnatural consortium of scum and they can decide we're going to make Jack Spierko or, you know, I don't know, Hunter Biden or whoever rich is an artist. And once enough of Jack Spierko's art has sold to these wealthy people for lots of money, I can sell my art to other people that aren't in that little clique for lots of money. I'm now a known artist. My art has a track record of selling. They created it out of thin air. They now own a piece of art that they can get somebody to come in and appraise once every five years. And they can continually get it to appraise at higher rates, and they can literally use it as collateral against a loan and play the same refinancing game that they do with real estate, right? This is a thing. It's done right now. It's not just for trading political favors. It's a, it's a way to create an artificial fiat money scheme. I think NFTs can fix that, actually, more than they, they can make that happen more, honestly, except, again... Um, Again, we're back to the point where these people have a lot of power because they have a lot of money. Next up, what is the timeline for the float token release? Last I spoke with Kingsley, my understanding was they are really doing everything they can to make sure that float, the float new version of the float platform is released this year before the end of December. My understanding is the float token will be released in like a Uniswap type arrangement when the new version of float, like one will not really precede the other. That's, that's the most that I know about that right now. Uh, I do talk to Kingsley, but not daily or something like this. Uh, art by Lee Murphy. My previous question was how to get started, but your point about art scams is spot on. So how do you get started? Um, I would go just here on YouTube. If you're on YouTube right now, how to create an NFT for digital art. That's what I would do. And I would just learn the process if that's what you want to do. And then you can go ahead and put your art out there um, if that's what you want to do. Uh, it's really not that hard to do, honestly. It's just I'm not a digital artist, so I don't really see the need to learn how to do it. Um, how can NFTs be applied to land or real estate from Eric? I kind of covered that a bunch of times. So maybe you came in a little bit later, but it all depends. What if you, you, you again, you kind of have to own the real estate. Now you can own it by leveraging debt. And then again, you can divest of the debt through the sale of NFTs or divest of part of the debt through sale of NFTs. And if you're smart, you can do as much of that in a way that creates an expense as possible to defer as much or reduce as much tax implication on the NFT as you can. But you can NFT land by saying you own, you know, there's a, here's an example. Like, really simple example. There is some distillery in Scotland that, of course, makes Scotch whiskey. And you can own a deeded square foot of land in Scotland on their distillery. 
I don't know that it gets you anything other than a certificate that says you own that square of dirt, right? But then you can be like a Scottish lord or some shit like that. You could do that. You could do that. You could have a beautiful piece of land that people do ecotourism on, and you could put in a beautiful brick path that leads to some special place on it. And you could say the person owns the, the, the dimension of a brick of that land, the same way the Scottish distillery did with their name in the brick or whatever they want to print it on the brick. I mean, you could get as minute or as big as you want. I'm sure people will be NFTing land on the moon soon. Um, but you could, you could NFT fractional ownership of a building. And then when that building sells, it would distribute based on that. You could NFT if you have tenants, some portion of the rent or lease or, or what have you, uh, after profit is calculated, of course. So you wouldn't get, you know, if you had 10% of those proceeds in that building of rent going out, it wouldn't be if there's a million dollars a month in rent. A hundred thousand goes out. It would be you have your million dollars in at least. You have your electric bill, your insurance, blah 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 blah. Uh, the building is creating a net cash flow of thirty thousand dollars a month, and then that piece is then chopped up to ten percent, three thousand dollars distributed to your your stakeholders. You could do it any way you want to, like that. Uh, is there any? Could you? Could NFTs be used from Joseph again to delineate certain responsibilities of a community, like a form of certification? Could be a system. Uh, to circumvent FDA laws on raw dairy, raw dairy. So I think it's, it can do whatever you can do within the bounds of the law under private ownership. And you would want to consult with whom? Tax attorney, a CPA and a general business attorney when you're getting that complicated. Um, and then Sahih is saying, I don't understand how something can be sold on both both on multiple NFT platforms or, God forbid, Amazon at the same time. Yeah, I don't either. I don't know what prevents double sales. I I think it's very clear what would prevent a double sale on the same blockchain. There would be a, you're tokenizing the thing, right? You could be creating a fictitious thing. But I also think the market will punish that severely. The market will punish. Now, there could be the the, the run-and-gun scammer, but if you are a company that actually has a location where people work, you're not going to do that. So I think that buyer beware, right, is a big part of this. Um, this is, Hayes says, this is what I meant by bootlegging. So he didn't mean they're going to, you're going to have the guy that's supposed to resell the book, resell the book. But the, uh, again, you have a system of, of law in place under copyright law for this. If, if you are bootlegging copies of my book, and you're using NFTs, you're still bootlegging copies of my book. I still have copyright enforcement under the same law. In fact, it actually may, may make it easier. It might make it easier to punish the bootlegger because we could create a mechanism whereby that NFT could be diverted to the original creator, thereby not punishing the buyer nor punishing the author but only punishing the thief. I'm not sure how we would do that, but there's there's probably some way to do it, yeah. Uh, Hay says, yes, total proof now. Maybe. I don't know. Because, again, you have the security of blockchain would mean that I've created that thing. But if we could create in these chains some set of smart contracts that say, unless, 
unless it is found that this original creation belongs over here. And then that immediately cross chain links back to that individual. And I think that we're going to have a lot less of, like I said, you know, people NFTing one thing and much more of a royalty based fractionalized component where you're not really worried that you're going to double sell the tree. It's the double spend program if you problem if you think about it. So since we've already solved it with crypto, it's pretty much already solved. It's pretty much already solved. But again, we'll have to create enforcement mechanisms. But I don't think that you'll need government to enact those enforcement mechanisms. You'll have technology do this. Um, I'm trying to read a comment here. So how do I prevent an under-the-table sale of embezzlement? If you're actually selling the NFT, the NFT has all of the parameters. You have to actually transfer the NFT. Now, could somebody create a fake NFT and sell it? Sure. But isn't that why you would have trust built in marketplaces? So, like, dude, I have this NFT for, like, these awesome grapevines. Man, hey, would you like to buy the Brooklyn Bridge, dude? I got an NFT for the whole Brooklyn Bridge. Like, see what I'm saying? Like, that's all, grifters have always tried to do things like that. And when we create trusted marketplaces, so, like, if you're like, hey, Jack, I understand that you own uh, five vines at Joe Blow Vineyards, and I'm a real fan of that. Would you be interested in selling me your NFT? Okay, sure. We're not going to do a direct transaction. We're going to go through some sort of NFT marketplace. And that's going to cause a lot of rules enforcement. Again, technology rules tend to not be very subjective. And so I'll finish with this because we're, we're pretty long. We're at a minute, thir- an hour 30 here. Um, but we used to say in the contract industry, the contract is the Bible. So as a salesperson, I was actually a sales engineer in the world of structured cabling. I would write a contract when I put in a bid. So it wasn't just a bid. It wasn't just, we're going to charge you $150,000 to cable this floor. It stated everything we would do, the timeline in which we would do it, the expectations that we had, the expectations that you had from us, uh, what type of equipment would we use, down to the manufacturers, Like, what would be installed, when it would be installed, how it would be installed, and what you had to do so that we could meet our timelines. Down to, if you don't have the the space available for us to put a telecom closet in, our timeline is off. And if you decide, I want to move 10 desks, here's here's the procedure for what's called a change order, and it's not free. And we would submit that to you. And you would say, yes, Jack, you have a good bid and a good plan. I want you to install my my uh, physical network infrastructure. And I'd say, okay, send me a purchase order. And we would sign that. And then what, it, what inevitably happen is some point along in a complex situation like that, the customer would say, well, I want this. And I'd say, great, I need you to sign this. Well, what's that? It's a change order that says we get an extra $5,000. Well, I don't want to do that. We have a disagreement. We didn't call the police. We didn't go to court. We didn't go into some sort of arbitration or something. There were provisions for that, but we didn't. We sat down at a table like two grown-ass adults. We opened up the contract, and we read the contract. And since I was good at drafting contracts, it became very clear where the disagreement lied and what the remedy was and what needed to be done. And then maybe if the person was a really good customer, I might say, you know what I can do here? 
you want to you want to do five changes. I can do two. I can absorb two, and I can charge you for three. Right? Or maybe if you're a dickhead customer, if you want these five changes, they're all going to cost you money. And the contract said that we had we had flexibility, but the contract was the Bible. When we look at these NFTs and the smart contracts behind them, what people are going to have to do is get really good at understanding the provisions of the contract because the NFT contract is not going to work like my contract. Hey, I understand that you're a really great customer. I understand that there's another bid coming down. I want to be in the front of the line on that one. I'm going to absorb a little bit. No, the NFT contract is going to be the computer does it. And that solves a lot of problems. And if I decide... I want to, I want to be a little bit more flexible. Maybe we can divide into that contract. I can go in and say, I'm willing to make this concession. But if we can't come to an agreement or if two sides are in disagreement, the rules are enforced automatically, instantaneously. That is the power of an NFT. And I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I hope it opened your minds. I know it was kind of technical, but I think the more important thing in this is not the technical aspects. It's opening up that concept of an ownership economy. We can't have this kind of idea that everybody just gets stuff. That's not how the real world works. And I think most grown-ass adults understand that. That there is a requirement. And, you know, people talk about tribal societies and sharing everything. No. All of these societies had certain expectations and obligations of members. Not to take more than you needed, right? But to also contribute to the greater good. And over time, as we developed into more complex organisms and less connected societies, in a good way, where a person wasn't born in a hut and had to stay in that hut forever until they could build another hut and have their own kids, right? Like when we actually got to the point where people could specialize and diversify in the most amazing ways, we developed money so that that contribution could be stored in a thermoeconomic way. What Bitcoin did was say, Let's make that sacred. Let's make it sacred. Bill invested his life force into this thing. It is unreasonable that somebody somewhere else that Bill has no authority over can devalue it and suck a piece of Bill's life force away through what we call inflation. It made it sacred. It made it indestructible. And it made it immortal. What the tools we're talking about today do is take that concept and allow it to be leveraged so that we can have money do its job, currency do its job, and equity do its job. Now, there's a lot of people that have a bad feeling when they hear the word equity today because they're, th- and they're, they're right. This is what the left lunatics want. They want equity in the standpoint of everybody gets the same results. That is not how I'm using the word. I'm talking equity is in having equity in a concern because you've contributed something of your life force, your energy, your contribution. I have decided to invest in you. And then there's an ROI for me in that because I want you to succeed and I get to see that happen. That's one type of an equity. You can think of that as a charitable equity. Your success benefits me just because it exists. And I might invest in you Right. I might invest in you if I run a store and you want to open a hamburger shop next door to me because people that buy hamburgers come into my store. It might be good for, for you to be there or I might want an ROI 
or we might want to share some form of expense. That's all this is. But it's automated, and it's on demand, and it just works, guys. Thanks for being with me today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope this has opened your mind, and I'm going to tell you something about this episode. That's, that's true of some, but not all. This is one that you're going to go to sleep tonight or over the weekend when it comes, and ideas are going to come into your head, and you need to write them down, and then you need to come back and listen again. Not because I'm a brilliant genius or some shit like that, because this is some of this stuff, it's the first time anybody ever said it, and it's not important what I said. It's important the concepts that saying those things has exposed, and what's most important is what your mind can do next. This entire episode, hour and 40 minutes now, plus the intro and outro that'll go on the audio podcast, happened because I read one article. Everything exploded when I read that. If you can do this, then you can do that, and you can do that, and you can do that, and screw them, they can't stop it. We're following their rules. We're just automating the rules. So what can all the people that will listen to this come up with? If I came up with this from that one article, you take that article, it's sourced in in the write-up on this today. Again, you can link over to it on the audio podcast. Read the article, listen to this. You come up with what you can do. And then get together with other people in your communities, both digital and real world, and start actually making this stuff happen. Take care, guys. Have a great day. Well, like I said at the end there, I really hope this spurs you to start saying, what if, what if, how can we? And to understand that a lot of this stuff still does require quite a bit of a technical knowledge to do the back end, but that technical knowledge is becoming more and more a commodity. Uh, more and more of it is becoming easy to do, uh, but more and more of it also has somebody that can do it. And so if you can come up with a way to leverage this technology, you're not sure how to do it, go out and shop the market. There are people that will help you implement this. Just the way you can hire some, you know, you can hire somebody to build a website today. Well, and you've been able to hire somebody to build a website for 25 years or more. You can hire somebody to do this work to empower you to take your business or your project or your community to another level. And definitely, as I alluded to a few times during this, if you're getting into anything that's even remotely gray on how to stay in balance with the law, then make sure you consult with an attorney. And this is really not a blockchain law thing. This is, is this thing, as I'm presenting it, legal to sell to somebody All the blockchain is doing is automating the obligations and the transferability. All right? And then one more time, if you do this, it is not selling investment in your company. And it's not just important that you don't say that. It's important that you don't think that because there's a tax implication here in that this is revenue. It's like going on Kickstarter and pre-selling a bunch of widgets. That money is not considered investor capital that's not taxed. It's considered revenue to the company that is taxed. And that's why I think it is a bad idea to not think about the timing of the release and to not have a plan with how to dispose of the investment, even though it's revenue, it really is an investment, to not have to dispose of it in expenses the business would probably have anyway, So therefore, the government doesn't get any more of it than you have to give them. Yes, it goes on the revenue side, 
of the balance sheet, right, or, or the income statement, but it is offset by the expense side of the income statement. A little bit of advice there, but again, you always run the advice by your accountant, your tax attorney, your general business attorney, whenever you make decisions like that. I'm not any of those things. I don't purport to, purport to be. I'm just saying these are the things to think about if you implement this strategy. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Hey, do you like this show? Did you get any value out of it today? If you did and you want to help support us, consider becoming a member. Um, I'm not NFTing my membership. Maybe I should. I don't know. Um, but if you are a member of the MSB, you get a bunch of really great discounts, and then you use those discounts every year, and then you get your money back. So consider becoming a member today, plus you get some other cool stuff. Uh, next up, the other way you can support us, it doesn't cost you any money out of pocket is to just do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That means if you're going to buy something online, start out at tspaz.com. No matter what you buy, whether it's what I recommend or not, you will help support the show painlessly. You'll also find all the products I recommend. Today's item of the day is the UTG Ranger Field Bag. I bought my first one of these, I guess in like 2010. I had a, uh, a big trade show to do. And we were taking hundreds of T-shirts. I know a T-shirt doesn't sound heavy, but you're talking a couple hundred of them. It adds up, right? I'm tightly packed, rolled up like the military, shoved in there. And I determined buying one of these bags, I figured it'll probably make it through a trip or two. It cost me less to buy the bag than to ship the shirts, go do the trade show, take all the ones that didn't sell, and ship them back. Because that's always your risk when you're doing something like that. And it made it many, many, many trips. This thing is rugged, and how big is it? It's 35 by 13 by 12 inches. Uh, it's it's bigger than that sounds. I'm convinced you could if you might have to crumple them up a bit. You could shove an average size human being inside it. How rugged is it? It's so rugged that where I go get my keg, uh, my CO2 uh, uh, tank filled up for my keg machine is an airsoft place. And I was down there and I saw a kid. I'm like, I own that bag. He goes, they all own that. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, probably half of the, ga the guys that come in to play airsoft and paintball, he said they use those bags because they have all this gear, all this you know, protective equipment and all, and it, 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 it handles well. And I'm like, wow, I've never even thought about it. But it is really popular there. Um, it makes a really good gear kit. There is, there is one weakness in the design, but unless you're going to be you know, putting 150 pounds of crap in a bag and, and taking it on airplanes, uh, it, it probably won't affect you. But you can read the write-up on it. It's on sale for like 56 bucks. It makes a great gift. It's a good vehicle kit. You can pack it like a backpack. It's uh, it's awesome. It's just awesome. And I've, I've been recommending it on T-SPAS for as long as T-SPAS has existed, and I've owned one since 2010. That tells you a lot. Uh, Rip that again. Anytime you shop online, start at tspaz.com. You can help us out. Again, I really hope you enjoyed today's show. I know it went kind of long. I know there were some technical aspects to it. But this is going to change the world. This is, it's not going to change the world. It is actively changing the world right now. Some of the ideas that I gave you today. Ten years ago, if you promote, if you put those ideas in front of somebody, they would have said, you're nuts, you can't do that. Now there's a tool to do it. And I want you to think about it like this way. These expanding NFT marketplaces. Think of them like eBay or Craigslist, but for higher quality things. So let's imagine the year is 1995. Some of you aren't born yet, but most of you are. And you look around your house, you have, boy, I have a lot of shit that I need to get rid of, right? So what would you do? You'd go put it all in boxes, Put some tables out, stick it out in your driveway, put up a sign and say garage sale. 
What do you do today? Craigslist, eBay, there's some other sites like that. Like You have this marketplace now, Facebook Marketplace. And all. You could sell it all, and then you go, hey, wait a minute. There's a lot of people that have a lot of crap. I could drive around everybody's uh, yard sales and pick up the premium crap and put it on. And people have entire businesses built on that. This just changed forever again. So there's not a lot of yard sales anymore because anything that's really got any real value to it, people know it's better to put it in that marketplace. Well, now we can do it with wine, the tree that produces the apple for the apple cider. We can do it with fractional ownership in a real estate business, a hardware business, anything. We've just taken that ability that only a few could do, and we've put it into a packaging. We're right at the cusp of where anybody can do it. In fact, we're already where anybody can do it. It just requires a little bit of expertise. It's going to get easier. The idea is an idea whose time has come. And once again, in the words of Victor Hugo, all the forces in the world are not so powerful as an idea whose time has come. We are transitioning into an ownership economy right now. I'm just saying you might want to be part of it. They gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution.
Yeah.